All right, folks, I'd like to welcome you out to another Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. I am Chris Johnson. I'm joined with Doc Chad. All right, we're going to take advantage of having Doc Chad here again. Uh, I don't know what order these podcasts are going out in. I have zero control over those things. Uh, We're just trying to get as many in the queue as possible so that as we ramp up things here in the next few months, we're still able to keep that, uh, that rapid schedule of getting one out a week and not getting all the, the hate about uh, postponing and, and getting podcasts out every other week. Um, so again, take advantage of having uh, Doc here, and we're going to talk IFAX, Individual First Aid Kit. You. And well, we'll, we'll talk a few other uh, related topics, but um, this is something I have noticed uh, as I've been an instructor for the past three years the growth of individuals having some sort of medical equipment on their kit, whether it's just, you know, the basic uh, tourniquet uh, or an actual, you know, blowout pouch or something like that. It is, it used to be a rarity in classes and now it's becoming a rarity not to have that. Well, that's Um, a good, that's a good thing in my book. Yeah. you never know what's going to happen on the range. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yes, all safety precautions are taken, but my whole job is in case stuff happens. Yeah. So. And I go to, uh, I go to the range. I know that I'm doing everything correctly. I'm following all the, uh, the rules of, of gun safety, Yep. but it's also a open range. There are other people there. There are other people that may not be. And, uh, I'm a I'm a Boy Scout. I believe in being prepared and, and having things so that if something happens, uh, I can I can react. We say it all the time in classes that I have never knock on wood had to use my gunfighting experiences or training here in the states, but I've had to use my medical knowledge. Yep, I've had to use my my aid bag that I carry in the car um, at a, a traffic accident. We've had students that have taken our uh, our medical seminars and then the next weekend. You know, they're just driving to church and someone's involved in a, a traffic accident and they're the first responder. You know, they're there until the paramedics get there. You know what's funny about that? Like, since I've been a medic, I haven't come across that in any of my travels. And I travel a lot at this point. Um, the only time that I've actually had to uh, to do it was when I took my dog to the vet and somebody rolled their car right in front of the vet's office and I went yanked open the door and she ended up being fine but it was just like they're like oh you should just stay here I was like no take my dog I'm a medic <laughs> so, um, but I usually I've come past things and it's something somebody's already there yeah like it's already first responders there and stuff like that so it's kind of like I'm like just waiting like trumpet at the bit I'm like come on <laughs> let me get out there and do this um but yeah, it's great to to be prepared and have that in your in your arsenal, so you can help somebody out in that, those instances. I've talked about it before on the podcast. Uh, my family was involved in a, a traffic accident about five years ago, and uh, there was it, I'm not going to say it was it wasn't catastrophic, but it, there were injuries. Um, my 18 year old daughter she ended up breaking her clavicle. Um, my wife was hurt. Um, there were a bunch of young women in the car and they were all bloody noses and things like that. Right. And there were injuries. There was a nurse that was like two cars back. 
so she was one of the first people up on the, the scene. And, you know, the car was smashed to the point that they couldn't get the front doors open. They had to get everyone out the back. Um, but she had no medical equipment. Right. She she was a nurse. She had all this knowledge. Yep. She, I mean, she was an ER nurse. She could do assessments. But without the equipment. But without the equipment. My family didn't have the training that I have, but I had a small, a very small uh, aid bag in that car. Right. Um, that, you know, it had stuff that that nurse was able to use to stop the bleeding and, you know, treat those, uh, those involved in the accident. There was enough that she was able to do something and nothing that was life threatening. There, there wasn't any life threatening issues, but there were issues you got a little girl that's bleeding. It's always nice to be able to stop that bleeding. So they're not seeing it and, you know, treat shock and things like that. Right. Because I had stuff, even though my people, my family didn't know how to use it. Someone else did. Right. And that's something that I like to tell people is look, start somewhere, you know, um, as always, we don't like to necessarily give you the, buy these 10 items, uh, because it, that doesn't fit for everyone. Right. Uh, we're going to talk today about some things that you want to look for, uh, some things that you might want to have. It's more of that thought and suggestion, get you thinking about it. Do your own research. We want you guys to understand the, the equipment that's out there um, and what's right for you. Obviously, you know, Dr. Chad, you're, you're running around with a different aid bag than what someone that has zero training right. has in it. But we've talked about, even though you have training, you still don't carry certain items. Yeah. There, there's such thing as overpacking and mm-hmm. you're just carrying too much weight. You yeah. Know, keep, keep it simple. Everybody's got their own IFAC. Like when you're on a mission, everybody's got their own IFAC. That's what, you, that's what you work out of as long as it's there and, you know, not destroyed. That's what you work out of until you need something above and beyond that. So trying to keep yourself as light as possible because, there's times when I was carrying blood on me and everything, I was out the door at 325 pounds. Yeah. So, and that's when I was a little bit lighter than I am now. <laughs> you know, I was rocking, you know, probably, I was sitting at like 240, 245, and I was out the door with everything on 325. So, you know, when you're at 8,500 feet hiking up a mountain, mm-hmm. well, that, that makes a difference. <laughs> I, I point out to people all the time, um, it's not just the walking with the weight. It's all the other things like fast roping. Yep. You know, I, there, there comes a point that you really have to, I know that I've run into this. So you've run into this in your career. Like you, you have, have to be, stop. Yeah. You have to be careful because I'm going out that bird. If I'm going out that bird and I'm at, at 300 pounds, 300 plus, yep. um, I'm, yeah, my body can take it, but is that they're rating that rope. They're rating for that equipment for something less. And you know, yeah. And you you got to be able to break though. That's the thing. Oh, like you're you're yeah. coming out. You got to be able to break. We had a guy um, didn't roll out of the way in time. Like he hit the ground and didn't have his feet under him. Didn't roll mm-hmm. out of the way in time. And next guy came down right on his femur, uh, shattered his femur. So that's how I broke my ankle. I uh, I broke my ankle on the rope. We were doing the tower. We were doing a train up. Yep. It was the ninth run down the the rope, and I was full mission profile. So I had my SSE bag and um, I was pushing over 300 pounds yep. and they, they had brought support kids out to do fast roping with us. 
And so they had integrated these kids that had never done fast roping in with us. And we were already, we were further along in the progression. Right. And so this kid was going down the rope and he kept breaking because he was testing his ability to break. The rope master put me on the rope before the other kid was off the rope. Oh. So I'm going down and I just happened to glance down and see that he's right there. So I break and I'm holding and I'm holding and I see that he's off the rope and then I go to, you know, slowly come back and I was smoked. Yeah. I, I'd been, you know, this is my ninth run down. Yep. I'm weighing way too much and I just fireman's pull straight yeah. down and I landed on the coil and popped my ankle and yeah. it was like, it sounded like a shotgun going off and I was so embarrassed that I walked to my car <laughs> Drove myself to the emergency room, and uh, when I got to the emergency room, they're like, "Ah, do you need a wheelchair?" I'm like, "No, I just need a, it's a bad sprain. I just need an X-ray." And um, pride, pride, big time. They took my boot off, and it swelled up like double the size of like oh, a, yeah. a softball. And I was like, "I'll take that wheelchair now." Yeah, yeah, that was that was a bad day. Oh, I I, I broke mine on a a jump. It had a nice tree landing, and mm. you know, free fell about twenty five feet. Broke my ankle. Medic actually came, took my boot off. It didn't swell up right away because it was the uh, distal portion of my tibia. Um, I broke like a good inch and a half chunk off the uh, lateral side of it. And uh, took my boot off. It didn't swell right away. He's just like, all right, go see your medics in the morning. So I walked (laughs) off the DZ, walked into sick call the next morning. The medic hands me crutches and tells me to go get x-rays. And I hear him and the civilian doc uh, burst out laughing when they're looking at the x-rays. And they're like, Gourley, get in here. <laughs> I was like, all right, what? Like, you walked in here this morning? And I was like, yeah. I mean, pain is pain, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, we're, that's what we're used to. You know, we just suck it up and keep going. <laughs> I'm just here for the Motrin so I can keep doing my job. Yeah. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that that whole thing we discussed last week as far as the uh, the support kids coming in that didn't do – the selection process, uh-huh. they're just there, yep. and they, they get told, hey, you're going to go do some cool guy stuff. So they're all excited. Yeah. And and it, it, there's a time and a place to let guys do stuff yep. and learn stuff, and I'm, I'm a big believer. Yeah. You know, absolutely. It was definitely a wrong answer integrating them with us in our training. They should have gone either after us or before us. Oh, yeah. Um, and then it's funny, that the, the rope master, he was a captain at the time, Uh Oh, there's another problem. Right yeah, there. yeah. He's he's a, a light colonel. Last time I saw him, and uh, he's still apologizing <laughs> because he he's he's like that was my fault. I should have cleared the rope before I put you on it. It was a training. We weren't rushing. I just you know it was the end of the day. I wanted to get us all done, and so I was just sending guys on the rope. I wasn't paying attention. And I'm like, hey, sir, it's all right. It's all right. You know, I got some screws for it. I got some titanium trophies. It's all good. You're just buying the beer after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, IFACs. Like I, you, a great point that I definitely have got in my notes and I want to talk about was it's the individual. Yep. All right, I should not be working on my IFAC on you, and you should not be working on your yours on me. There's right. a reason why we all carry an IFAC. There's a reason why one of the things coming out of GWAT is that it's not just the medic has a giant aid bag that he's carrying. Right. Everyone has more than just a pressure bandage on them. Yep. Well, the, the first things first, I mean, self-aid, being able to do it yourself if you're able to, because um, 
when the bullets are flying, like that's the first thing that we're doing is, hey, are you able to treat yourself? In, are you in a safe spot? Did you get behind cover? Are you able to treat yourself where you're at? Or do we need to come get you type thing? Because best medicine on battlefield, fire superiority. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to run out there and grab you under a hail of bullets because if I go down, then I'm putting everybody else out there at risk by not being able to have my capabilities on that target. So that individual first aid kit is there for them to work out of themselves or for me to work out of if they can't do it themselves. But so placement of the uh, the first aid kit. Now, Range Regiment, you guys are big, known for SOPs. Uh, SF, we're known for SOPs. Uh, that was the one item that in our radios uh, were kind of the team agreed where we were going to put it. Yep. Uh, and it, the rule was always uh, you need to be able to access it with both hands. And that it is something that is always like if you've got to drop your body armor, it's on your battle belt. So you you always have it with you. Okay, that that was the way that our team had it. That that makes sense to me. Um, ours, as far as regiment goes, it was always back left, back left on okay. their on their body armor. You knew where it was going to be, mm-hmm. and even if you pulled their body armor off. Okay, you could work out it from their body armor. Yeah. Um, but it was back left where they could still reach it. They could still mm-hmm. open it and, and and yank everything out. Um. Just so there was a standard, so you knew where to look. You didn't have to like go searching. Like where I work now, I've got guys from all walks of life. So you've got some that have theirs tucked under the uh, the the ones that go yeah in, under the, in plate. the plate. Yeah, uh, you got the guys that have the one hanging down from the back of the uh, back of the their body armor. Um, some hanging in the front of the body armor. So it's basically you're just learning your guys. You know, every time I you know meet somebody new, I'm like, all right, where's your stuff? I need to know where your stuff is mm-hmm. so I can, if something happens, I can work on you. So I liked Regiment having a standard where it was like, hey, this is where it's going to be no matter what. You know the IFAC should be there. Uh, and that, that's one of the advantages of having those SOPs. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you have the ability of establishing that, it is a good thing. On the team, as the collective, we, we made that kind of vote. Yeah. All right, where where is this going to be? Uh we ran most commonly. It was uh, back right, so I always yeah. run back right on my battle belt. Yeah. Um, primary hand is right hand, but I can still reach it with my left hand. Um, and I like the breakaway kits that I can pull a tab, and, and the whole pouch comes, comes off. Out. But it has a tie down in that. Yes, it has. It has its so it, own safety lanyard that yep. it doesn't go flying, flying all over it, the place. When I accidentally catch that, yeah, yeah, because that's happened. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Yeah, th- that w- that's a, a very good point about having the um, uh, the tie down because yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that where you know they yank it out and then you, you yard sealed all your yes. your equipment and mm-hmm. now you're like scrambling to and try then you're, to find you try to move the guy and and we, we didn't take it with us. And yes. Yep. Uh, it it's definitely you know considerations. You know that's that's one of the things that we go through when we're training, doing procedures. There's there's all sorts of uh, trash that comes, comes oh, yeah. about. You have all the wrappings, every, mm-hmm. everything that everything comes in, uh, and you just end up shoving them in cargo pockets and stuff like that to, to make sure you don't leave a trace behind because you don't want the enemy to know that you know they actually got somebody and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're used to doing that uh, on our side. Now, 
We're talking, though, individual first aid kits for people here. That's not your that's not a concern for them. Like their concern is making sure that they can treat themselves or treat their buddy on a range or out hunting somewhere until we can get, you know, civilian uh, paramedics on scene and, and get them treated and get them evacuated to a hospital or whatever. So, you know, that's something that's concerns that we have to look at in our mission set, but not concerns that you have to look at on the civilian side. And, you know, that's an important thing that we put that out there because a lot of the IFACs that are out there, like you, you Google IFAC, you're going to come up with, you know, 20 different companies that are selling things. Uh, 19 of them are all coming straight from China. You know, they're all, they're all wish.com, um, you know, questionable. Yeah. Uh, it, I, it's like the survival kits. I, I love looking at survival kits and be like, garbage, 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 garbage. I keep that garbage, garbage, garbage. Okay. I spent $30 and there's two items in here that I, that are usable, you know, um, not, not, not to plug anybody, North American rescue. They're, they're pretty legit. Um, I believe it's former Rangers and SF that are, uh, running that. They've actually come to regiment to see if we wanted them to you know, if we had any ideas for pouches and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that they could make for us. So, um, th- and, those guys yeah, are no, really trying to North, make Ameri- North American rescue, um, act. And the other one is, uh, focus, uh, P H O K U S. Um, and, uh, I'm assuming they're seals because their symbol is a frog. <laughs> they're the ones that make that behind the plate yeah. uh, pouch. And I yeah. like that. Um, yep. I got one of those, uh, they're always sold out of them, but I actually I have one of those that I carry in my uh, everyday carry my backpack. Yeah, because it's, because it's thin. It's thin. It fits in my um, my laptop sleeve. Yep, of my backpack, and I don't even notice it. Yep, you know, and it's an okay kit. Yeah, uh, it, it's something that I can have and I can travel with without taking up a lot of bulky space. And I don't have I don't have Molly pouches. Surprise, surprise! I don't have a Molly backpack that I go with my EDC. Well, I still walk around wearing a fifth gear pat, but no, you know, but that makes sense. Like yeah. it's, you see so many people like in the airport with like a Molly bag and stuff like that. And it's like, come on, man, you're just making yourself a target. Mm-hmm. Like yep. if you're traveling civilian, look like a civilian. <laughs> yep. You, you don't need to be tactical while you're walking around everywhere. Yep. Like be ready, but you don't need to show everybody that you're ready. It's a, uh, Flynn likes to joke about the uh, the undercover cops that are trying to let you know they're undercover cops. Oh God! You know, yeah. like look at my Solomon's. Yeah. You know, look at my Columbia jacket. You know, hmm, somebody we, at Mission Barbecue. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was coming out of the ranch. Yeah, I mean, you so take you, on you at you and nine other guys. Yeah, some of them wearing cry cry pants. pants. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Um. So when you're. Uh, setting when you're going through an IFACT when, yeah. when you what are the the key things that you're looking at what where's your thought process at um I mean we have a standard like in in the military and you know with the contracting that I do now like there's a standard of things that we want to have in that that IFACT um you're gonna want some sort of compression bandage whether it's an emergency trauma bandage or even just an ace bandage as long as you have uh some sort of curl X or something like that, like that to pack the wound, uh, combat gauze, uh, the whole, 
impregnated gauze that that will help stop have some sort of clotting agent yep has a clotting agent um whether it's combat gauze there's a couple other out there uh combat gauze is the go-to though now it's expensive each one is ridiculous amount of money um and that's where the cost of your IFAC goes up if it has a combat gauze bandage in it uh don't use that for practice ever (laughs) (laughs) um but so I'm going to be looking for that. I'm going to be looking for Curlex. I'm going to be looking for a uh, pressure bandage, uh, obviously a tourniquet. Tourniquet's going to be number one, you know, especially in situations where you're at the range. I would like to have the tourniquet not in the eye effect. I'd like to have it, if you're wearing a kit, have it on the outside of your kit where it's like rubber banded to the outside of your kit and either you or whoever's coming to treat you can just rip it off your, your kit and throw it on you immediately. Um, well, one of the things that I've learned in my experiences, uh, the tourniquet rule, it definitely is the one is none, two is one. Oh, absolutely. So having multiple tourniquets yep, uh, and having the ability, because, you know, a lot of times you're going to have an individual that has multiple extremity wounds. Yep. Or and, if it's lower, if it's like double leg amputee mm-hmm. and... One tourniquet might be, not be enough on each leg. It might need two tourniquets each leg. So you might be looking at four tourniquets right there, depending and, on the individual. Yes, I was going to say, like you or I, we're yep. bigger guys. Yep. Our our thighs are thick. You know, there there's a lot of a lot of muscle tension there that you've got to compress down. So uh, I know that I get a little grief. I've got a um, I have I actually have a rat a rat tourniquet in okay. in my aid bag. It's not for me. It's not for you. Right. It's because I was on a mass cal that there were an Iranian um, tour bus coming through, and there was like sixty some on casualties. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to get a uh, a tourniquet on a, a little girl who's I'm, I'm assuming six years old. Right. Um, you know, her arm was was nothing. Yeah. And you know she. It was not a complete amputation yet. It, I'm sure it is now if she right. survived. Um, but it was definitely bleeding, and I'm trying to get that tourniquet-like effect, and I you, couldn't with a cat. Yeah, with a cat. You know? like Because of the way it's set up, it's got the hard yeah. hard plastic at the, the one side. If it's a tiny limb like that, yeah. it's so not, we, you're we not going to be able to doing it tight a, enough. an improvised yeah. uh, to get a tourniquet on her. Yep. And uh, so I have – for in my aid bag for children because I have little girls yeah, uh, and for dogs because I actually got it from our dog handlers carry them for our dogs. Yeah. And I've had people see that in my bag and be like, Oh, that there. And I'm looking like, bro, it's not for me. It's not for you. It's, it's for different patients. And it's, it's not even that. It's also just the fact that it's the concept of the tourniquet. Like you said, the improvised, it's something else in your kit that when it hits the fan, you're able to yeah. to provide that care. You know, whether, I mean, we've got tons of wires here. Could we do something with these? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like being able to know the concept of it to get that bleeding stopped so you give them a better chance the, of. The cat or the, the fast or the soft, the, mm-hmm. those are, they're very, very effective and they're pre-made. They're they're great for guys like you and I. Yep. But like you said, you may be using two on a lower extremity. Yep. I know um, 
I've talked about him before. Uh, he was the medic on the first ODA into Afghanistan. He's yep. one of my mentors. I call him my SF granddad. <laughs> team sergeant, two of my team sergeants. Uh, we were talking about tourniquets one day, and he's like, honestly, a good ratchet strap is what I look at for lower extremity. Yeah. And I was sitting there, like, we were actually doing stuff with four-wheelers while we were having this conversation. So we were strapping down four-wheelers. He's like, yeah, this one-inch ratchet right here, that is what I I had for Afghanistan. I was going to say, that's, that's you, you'll still find them out there. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll still find the... The old guys the that, old, that they run with that. Well, it's not necessarily the old guys that run with it. It's like stored away in old medical equipment. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll see ratchets. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you're just like, all right, we're a little archaic there. Like, yeah, it, but you know, it there, worked. It was it was effective. You're looking at some tissue damage with that metal buckle yep. and things like that that the modern tourniquets are trying to avoid. Yep. But it goes back to that. Okay, so I did some damage to you. But you're alive to cuss me out about it. Well, military side, they don't care. Yeah. Civilian side, that's when Different you're, story. Like, you got lawsuits pending then because you're using something like that. And then they're like, but you did more damage. Well, but you're alive to sue me. So, mm-hmm. like, where where are we going with this? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the other thing. Uh, 20 years of war, the advancements in medicine uh, 20 years ago. Nobody was carrying tourniquets. Mm-hmm. Cops weren't carrying tourniquets. And now it's, it's standard. Civili- it's civilian. Standard. You see it all all the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's you're you're seeing you, you see videos of like a cop getting shot and he's sitting there putting a tourniquet mm-hmm. on himself. Yeah. Um. And you know it, it. It's one of those harsh realities of twenty years of war. Like we had to go through this to learn mm-hmm. these advances, but we've between that prosthetic limbs, like the advances that we we've made are, have been absolutely amazing because of it. So did we spend too long there? Yeah. Did we gain some knowledge out of it? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, um, you talk about as time has gone on, like I remember as an infantryman doing, uh, EIB, yeah. the, you know, the expert infantry badge, um, I know not everyone has one of those. I'm pointing fingers at certain people. You know who you are. All right. If you were an infantryman and don't be like, oh, well, I was too busy giving my CIB. I got that too, buddy. Um, but I've never been to Philmont. I know. Yes. All right. So um, when we did the EIB back in the day, it was there's bleeding. You put a bandage on it. Then you put a pressure bandage on it, and then you put a tourniquet on it. And I, how quickly once GWAT started, we went from that protocol to slap a tourniquet on it. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. And all the fears of, oh, once you put a tourniquet on it, you know, they, they've lost that limb. So, you know, you want to put a tourniquet on it. Yep. You know, if it's an extremity, that that's um, – so, yeah, in your IFAC – you, what you're saying is, as individuals, we should have our, our tourniquets, not necessarily in the pouch, but where we can access it with both hands. Exactly. Somewhere on our body. Exactly. Because, like I said, if you can treat yourself, if you can, and this is something that you should practice, uh, like if you do purchase a kit and you do purchase, you know, purchase multiple tourniquets, have one set aside to practice because trying to put a tourniquet on with your off hand onto your, your dominant hand 
and getting it tight and everything. It takes some practice. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something like, especially your heart rate's going to be up. You're going to be losing blood. Like you're, most people are going to be like in a panic, like, you know, I'm bleeding here type thing. Um, so those fine motor skills, you, you're not going to have the fine motor skills. You, you want to rely on those gross motor skills and rely on like the practice that you've had. Yeah. I, I like when people tell me they're going to rise to the occasion. Oh God. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're going to fall back to your low, lowest level or your last level of training. Yeah. Um, you know, they make the, the training tourniquets. They're blue. Yep. Or, the, you know, they're they're designed for that purpose. Well, so, the reason they make them blue is it, it's the exact same tourniquet. Exact yeah, yeah same. It's, it's the same it's thing. It's literally just to identify it as, as a, training, a training tourniquet yes. because once you use it multiple times, it loses its tensile strength and you're not going to want to use that. Mm-hmm. In the last ditch effort, if that's the only thing you have, absolutely. Yep. You know, if you try to reset it, like there's a way, you know, when we do the class, you know, the tactical combat casualty care class that's coming up. Coming up uh, April 1st. Yeah, that, yeah. that class. Yeah. yeah. Might as well plug that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, depending on when this podcast comes out. <laughs> Hopefully before then. It should. <laughs> but uh, when we go over that, we'll go over like resetting the tourniquet for. Mm-hmm for you to be able to reuse it for training purposes. And then if you do have it reset and that's the only thing you have, just know that you're going to have to crank that thing down a couple twists tighter than, than you normally would. Um, but again, try to have a fresh tourniquet to be the one that you're using. Like not, this. not in the plastic. No. I love seeing guys oh, that have a brand new, it, it, when you get, when you get the tourniquet, take it out of the plastic Put it on your kit. Make sure it's set up so you have a loop already on there that you're able to slide it over your arm. Um, if you have it set up and it doesn't have that, it's even more of a pain in the butt to to get it onto your arm when you're trying to do it with your offhand. Um, like I said, these are all things that we'll go over mm-hmm. uh, when we practice and stuff like that. Uh, so you talk about training and, and utilizing these. I preach dry fire all the time. Yep. I implement the the medical in that practice as well. Can I get to my stuff? Do I know how to utilize it? I had someone accuse me of abusing my children because uh, I was telling a story and they were softer people. They didn't understand that the world is a dangerous place. Right. Um, We were doing, I had just got a new um, laser bullet for training uh, purposes. And I was working with the girls and trying to get them um, their firearms handling better. And one of the girls kept flagging me and I would bring it up and I'd bring it up and I would tell them and I'm coaching them through it. And then I was like, okay, the next time this happens, we're going to act like you just shot dad. And so it happened again. So I was shot in the leg and we had to go through the protocols. So I had them, you know, I, pretending to be on the phone, I was being the 911 operator. They were having the, the conversation while their sisters were treating. Right. And they went and got our training aid bag that we have right. that has, you know, training tourniquets in it and training. We, we've got the um, the quick clot trainers. Right. It's not a it, it's it not an imbued cloth, but it has yeah. it's the same Z fold. And uh, those things still cost like thirty dollars. Oh, I know. Yeah, well, well, it's, it's, I didn't pay for them. Uh, I got them from group. You know, right? But so, I'm, 
like I was medlog for a while. Like before I went through Sockham, I was medlog for a while. And I had to order all that stuff. It's just ridiculous. So we went through the whole scenario. Yeah. Of them, me, you know, establishing that, and I made them crank that. You know, I'm Sean Lake, so they're cranking down on my thigh, and then I'm having them check my pulse. Yeah. And you know, it hurt, and they could still feel a pulse, and I could still feel a pulse. I'm like, you got to go tighter. Yeah. And you know, they're they're horrified at but I'm like this is saving my life right now yep you have to do this you have to hurt me to save me yep even in training they have to know what it feels like the tears start flowing on that it was painful man it, it really was it, oh not not for you oh, for, them, for them no it wasn't they, okay. they were very they were they understood the purpose because we we train and do yeah. things like this so they they went into business mode operator okay. feels no pain they went into the, that do what needs to be done yep so we're sharing the story, and someone's like, oh, that's just so horrible. To, now those, the, the children have been scarred because they have this. And I'm looking, I'm like, no, they've been stress inoculated. Yep. They have been through an incident and realized they came out the other side okay. It was a safe environment. We treated things as if it was real. Um, you know, And we treated it not just like, you know, the other part of that was we were enacting the 911 phone call and how to, how to communicate and how to describe the nature of injury. And give the directions to the house and where the patient was inside the house. Yep. And is the front door unlocked? Or can someone unlock the front door? We went through the whole thing. Oh, yeah. It was a great little family exercise. And my children are better because we did that. Exactly. And, yeah. and the people that are, like, sitting there saying there's abuse, it, not necessarily the softer. They just don't know. It's, like, people that haven't been places and seen, yeah. you know, haven't experienced anything that – remotely resembles violence in any way mm-hmm. you know it it's like oh my god you're you're damaging your children no no it's educating like it's really educating them on what to do and how to handle stress um because if that happens you don't want them to to panic you know you you want them to be able to handle it without panicking yes there's going to be after the fact there's going to be you know emotional side of it like mm-hmm. this actually happened yep. like but they were able to handle the situation in that in that moment and that's amazing yeah. um i had the situation where uh, i had to treat my mom you know uh, we were having a get together it was around christmas time we were having to get together and uh she was meeting a girlfriend who was a nurse um and we both noticed that she started acting funny you know she she was scared to death of bats and it looked like at one point it looked like the biggest bat she's ever seen in her life was flying at her. Like mm-hmm. just the, the look of sheer terror on her face and both of us like stepped up. We're like, she's going down and she did. She went down, she had a seizure and uh, my little brother was there and I was like, all right, get all the kids, take them over to the room. You know, mm-hmm. we just went through, we just flipped the switch, went into our medical training, uh, started getting, going through the March algorithm uh, she got airway while I was on the phone. We're passing all the information to the paramedics. Like he said, you guys went to a different world. You guys yeah. just like went from being her son to just like robots. And I was like, that's what we're trained to do. Yeah. That's no longer my mom laying on the ground. That's now a patient. You know, you got to remove the emotions from it. Just, if you have the emotions, it it's not doing any good. Right. Yeah. So it, it goes back to that operator feels no pain. Yep. Hey, I've been asked all the time about like, you know, do you have PTSD or anything like that? I'm like, not for many of the people shot no. that little girl. Yeah. That one, 
I will still, from time to time, have a nightmare about that. Oh, I can imagine. Because she was the same size as one of my daughters, you know, yeah. and like I just kept seeing my own kid there, you right. know, and I was struggling. Yeah. And I what? There were so many casualties, you know, like my medics were just, you know, pointing and the, our Iraqis had security. Yeah. And we were working yep. because we needed all hands. And, um, yeah, that, that that haunts me. Yeah, you know. But at the time, I didn't have time for that. I didn't no. have time to be like, "Oh my gosh, this girl looks like my kid." No, if I did that, if I let that those emotions come in, you have to be business. Yeah, exactly. You, you have to. All right, let's do this. Yep. Yeah, you, you again revert back to the training. Mm-hmm. Like you just go into that mode. Like okay, and that's why you know one of the things that we're always telling guys. We got to do the medical training. You need to do the medical training. That's why Jared is always looking for. That's why we brought you in here, yeah. so that uh, April first we can have that, have that class. We want to do more stuff with that because we see how important it is, and having that exposure to and, this stuff. And that's just going to be a basic beginner yeah. course. That it's just to get familiar with the equipment that mm-hmm. you might you might have on you. Uh, we're not going to go in depth with. A bunch of stuff. Um, one of the other things that that usually comes in IFAC, you know, we were discussing this before the show, is a, a needle D. So mm-hmm. it's a fourteen gauge, three and a quarter inch needle um, used to do a needle decompression. And unless you're trained on it, you're not going to want that in your kit. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it, it it's one of those things that only carry what you're capable of using unless you know you have somebody with a higher level of skill that can use it on you um because you're just carrying unnecessary stuff at that point and, and that in particular um we, we had this conversation earlier and it's important we'll throw it out here uh what we're talking about we have a next level higher care yeah. you're talking that we are we are doing the initial assessment and pack of the patient well, the next level is coming to us. Right. We're doing the immediate sustaining of life. Those symptoms, the things that that would be utilized for, aren't going to materialize until they're already in the hands of EMS. They're already at the hospital. And then at that point, you know, they're doing they're, they're the actual sur- surgical procedure. Right. They're looking know, to do a chest tube at that point. They're, they're doing what is necessary. Yeah. Ugh, chest tube. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had the the wonderful, and I am so grateful I had the opportunity to just train. I've done a lot of medical training. Right. Being an SF guy, I got expo- good tr- cross-training. Vanderbilt University has a cadaver lab, obviously, yeah. um, and they have a deal with fifth group that once the cadavers have done whatever they're there for, we get them. Yeah. And ODAs will get to go down and do training. Yep. Um. And I've heard guys that have gone down and they, they got to do their training and it was after like a med class and yep. there was like nothing left. Yeah. There, there was, you know, yep, that's a human body. All the organs are laid out on the table. Yep. Go look at them, you know. My team got to go down one time and it was a like mortu- or mortician mm-hmm. um, class. So all that had been done was they had been properly embalmed. So you just had... So we had full like everything was there right like they were they hadn't been cut on they nothing so we were able to do a lot of procedures and one of the i got to do a chest tube yep 
So I understand. I knew what a chest tube was, but I got to do a chest tube. Yep. And that was, that was, wow, that was. You're puncturing the chest wall with curved Kellys. Yes. And then spreading them open to create a, a hole. Big enough to stick a hose in. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, now understanding that I, I understand what a chest tube is. You know what a yeah. chest tube is. And now the people listening kind of have an idea. <laughs> it's a it's a very traumatic procedure. Yeah. I uh, I was working on a platform. I had an individual that was there, and he was a very interesting guy. Um, and he had some bad luck. I mean, this dude, like, just – he came home from a deployment and his wife at the time decided that the six months that he was gone, she just couldn't clean the cat box. <laughs> so he comes home and they had four cats. Um, so he had bad luck. Okay. Um, so he's telling us a story. And like, mind you, when this guy started telling you a story, you're like, Oh, this is going to be bad. Right. He's telling a story of how he was, Doing some stuff and ended up having to have a uh, a chest tube without anesthetic, uh, without being put under. They, he needed, like, that was the procedure they needed to save his life. And uh, I'm sitting there literally, like, f- a few months prior, I had done this. So I know exactly what's happening. And he's, you know, he's showing, he's lifting up his shirt. And I'm like, you, like, nothing? And he's like, yeah, nothing. Like, they did it. Yep. Uh, he's like, I passed out eventually. Well, yeah, but yeah, eventually, I, I can I can imagine that's. Oh. But so we're, while we're talking about this in the IFACT episode, is neither you or I are carrying stuff to do a chest tube. No, even though you've been trained on, I've been trained on it. I'm not doing that procedure. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not carrying that in my everyday like yeah. truck truck bag that's sitting in the truck. I've got the basic stuff in there that I can do. I have a scalpel in case I need to crack somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's about it. Like that's the most I'll do because, granted, that's not something that you know you're going to do on the civilian side. But if it comes down to that person's not breathing, they have so much trauma that they can't breathe, and that's the only way to get them an airway. I'm going to do that to save their life. Will I deal with the repercussions after? Absolutely. But if it needs to be done, that's what I'll do. But. I'm not carrying a chest tube and stuff like that because mm-hmm. they're going to get to a higher level of care before they need something like that. Um, I carry that in the field because I am that higher level of it's care. A, that's a, that's in, an excellent until, point. Until they can get evacuated. So I will carry that stuff in the field because I'm the one expected to do it. There's times that evac times might be longer than an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys, especially you guys go into places where, you know, your evac times, you could be sitting on somebody for, 24 48 mm-hmm. hours um so your guys have to be able to sustain that and do that prolonged field we, care we did that at a training event um down in arizona where we had a uh, a casualty um it was a the scenario was a down pilot yeah and so we we were the initial team we we got to them we stabilized and then uh because he was you know, it was a whole training scenario. We were, right. think about like um, World War II, a down pilot behind enemy lines. Yep. So we were that uh, that resistance element. We were we were the Americans with the resistance element who stabilized him. But then we needed to pass him off to a next level of care. So they were supposed to jump in the PJs. Right. Um, and they, the fun story on this, uh, they were we we're going to hand him off to them. They were going to 
sustain him and we were going to put him through a mechanism like World War II style and get him out. Um, the PJs didn't want to jump because there was water on the drop zone. And so like Chris and I, we're out there and we're surveying and we're like, there's a, a small, small water feature. We're, it was, it was a, a cattle tank. So where cattle could come uh, get water, right? maybe, you know, 12 feet by 20 feet, maybe four feet deep Yeah. at the end of a drop zone that was easily a mile long, <laughs> easily a quarter mile wide, and they were going to free fall. And yeah, right. And so like Chris is like, uh, I'm a free fall jam. I would put guys on this. Like you have, yeah. you, it's a precision, you know, it's not like a mass tack. I'm sitting there like, Shoot, as a static line guy, like 82nd style, I would put the 82nd out here. Yes, you know? exactly. But they, they couldn't jump because there was a water obstacle. That's ridiculous. Um, and, I, you know, I don't again, I don't think it was the actual guys. I think it was their chain of command wouldn't sign off on it. Yeah. Um, so they had to, like, it, be trucked in. That's the way it always is. Yeah. It's always, it's always somebody at the top that's, like, risk adverse mm-hmm. and, and doesn't want to like risk their guys or put them through something or look bad to their guys yeah. when the guys all they want to do is, is do the job do the job yeah so it was interesting um we had a simulate on that um and it had a respiratory it had circulatory and it had a pain response and they had he was a uh a jsoc um pa retired right. that was running it so they, um, the PJs finally get there and we hand it off and now we're, we're still there. We're like pulling security and whatever, right. you know? Um, and so they they have their youngest guy. He's doing everything. He's doing the procedures right? and he's going to do a chest tube. And so he's supposed to like, he's doing all his assessment and everything and he's supposed to be pushing drugs. Right. And, um, the PA is looking at me. He's like, you, you're good to do the procedure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, is a patient good to do, like doing all the foot stomping, oh, right? Yeah. Like hadn't given him anything for pain management. Oh no. And, uh, so he, the simulate, you know, he, he cuts into the, starts to cut into the simulate right. and the simulate because it has pain response yeah. starts jumping off the table. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sitting there a little bothered by the fact that this thing is, is doing what it's doing. And I'm yeah. again, this is a PG show, so I'm not going to talk about, uh, oh, yeah. um, yeah, it was it was not a not good. It, it was I, there's some some cool animatronic things that they have out there that are great training aids, right? And um, it's still disturbing, even though you know it's not a live thing. Yeah, even though you know that it's 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 a robot. Yeah, it's still freaky. Right, you know. Um, yeah, the, that still bothers. Me. And it was one of those things that the kid realized. Oh man, this guy was giving me all the clues. Yeah, that was an interesting training event. Oh yeah, but. and some of the some of the training aids, like some of the the robotics, mm-hmm. like the ones that have a voice response, the ones that have like a uh-huh. a, a pre made soundboard and everything. Yes. I, I so want to put a Monty Python soundboard in one of them <laughs> just to just to mess with people. But um, they're they're great though. Like they'll pump blood. They will they will give you a pain response. Mm-hmm. You can get ones that are remote controlled that you can actually like move the limbs mm-hmm. and, and have them roll around and everything. Um, but yeah, like if you're not going to give pain meds and you're going to try to do a, a, a chest tube, you're, yeah. you're going to get a response no matter what training aid you're doing. Mm-hmm. Whoever that, whoever's in charge of that 
that patient is going to make sure that you get some sort of response yeah. out of it. And as the kid now knows, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's better for it. Better, better to be done during training than uh, 100%. because he'll never make that mistake yeah. again. So we, we've kind of de- dived down a, a fun little <laughs> rabbit hole there, but uh, back on topic, IFAX. Um, so right now we've talked a lot about uh, hemorrhage, yep. right? Blood control. Yep. Uh, keep the bright red stuff inside the bag. That's yep. one of the rules that as a team Bravo, that's what it, <laughs> I, I keep in my mind is like, if there's a hole, plug the hole, you know, yep. uh, if there's a, you know, it's, it's flowing, stop the flow, turn yep. off the faucet type thing. Um, what uh, other things? Chest seals, chest seals, chest seals and NPAs. Uh, NPA is a nasal pharyngeal airway. Nose trumpet. Yep. Um, something that's not too invasive that you can do to make sure that if your patient's unconscious that you can give them an airway mm-hmm. um, as long as there's no like trauma to the face or anything. Uh, but it's something to maintain an airway so their tongue's not falling back yeah. you know, and, and causing them to snore. Or like, a, to- like the J-hook? The, the, um, is that what it's called? The... Little plastic J. Uh, oh, the the OPA. That, that's yeah. That, the, that's the OPA. Yeah, that's an OPA. Uh, both of those are carried by civilian rigs. Um, so whether it's an EMT or a paramedic, uh, they'll have either one of those with them. Um, it's not like I said. It's not cutting into somebody to give them mm-hmm. an airway or anything like that. So you know, it's something that you can have on you if, for whatever reason, if, whether it's a fall, whether, whether you have, you know whatever reason you go down and like you're out and you're, they're not getting a response from you and you need an airway, they can put that in. Mm -hmm. Is it temporary? Absolutely. Um, will it get you by until that paramedic shows up? Yes, it will. So, um, the other thing is chest seals. Yeah. Chest seals. This is one like for law enforcement. Um, I, I have a good friend who's a, uh, who's in law enforcement and he used to work in a, a rougher neighborhood. Yep. And uh, he was blown away. Military guy, former Marine. Right. Um, has medical background. Right. Um, he had chest seals, and he would come up, and there would be a shooting. There would be a gangbang or whatever, and he'd whip out a chest seal and slap it on because, hey, he doesn't need a needle D. Right. You know, just because he's getting that guy packaged yep. to go to that next higher level of care. And other law enforcement would be like, what is that? Yeah. You know, um, I think that that is a piece of kit that is often overlooked. Yep. Like we have tourniquets, yep. but what about the the torso? Yep. You know, so I mean, for for us, what we teach is we teach the March algorithm, which is massive hemorrhage, um, massive bleeding, any anything like major life threats mm-hmm. uh, that you can see that are obvious when you walk up from the patient, and then you're going to do a blood sweep to make sure check if they're got any arterial bleeds that's where you throw a tourniquet on next thing you go to is airway that's where the npa comes in after that you're going to respiratory which is you're looking for any chest wounds that may be causing difficulty breathing you know a a five five six round causes like a pinhole Mm -hmm. entry wound they they can be missed you you have to get in there and really look for those but the the entry hole is going to be less damaging when it comes to the uh, sucking chest wound than the the exit wound Mm -hmm. because that exit wound is going to be bigger if it's larger than the circumference of your esophagus or your trachea um it's going to your your 
your airway, everything's a negative pressure system. Mm-hmm. So when your chest is expanding, it's drawing that air in through your trachea. Well, if you have a larger hole in your chest than your trachea, then instead of coming through your trachea, that air is going to suck in through that hole. And that's going to bring air into the pleural space, which is between the uh, the chest wall and the uh, the lung itself. And you don't want air there because mm-hmm. that's when the more air fills up there, the less air your lung can fill up with. Um, so that's where the chest seal comes in. You want to put that chest seal on. You you want to get that sealed so air can then come through the trachea. Your lungs can do what they're supposed to do. Now, if that bullet penetrated your lung, now you've got air escaping from the lung. That's where you get the tension pneumothorax. Mm-hmm. That's where you look to do the needle D. Those are late signs. Like you're, that's going to happen over time. That's not going to be something that happens like within the first like couple minutes. Mm-hmm. So get the chest seal on and keep keep going with your march algorithm. So next is circulatory. That's where we're checking other bleeds. Um, that's where I'd put in an IV. That's where I'd put push made pain meds, push fluids, stuff like that. Uh, and then H is um, head injury and hypothermia. So always want to keep your patient warm and if they have a head injury you want to ele- you know elevate the head so you have less blood pressure going to the head um but that's the basics of the march algorithm but we're, we're talking about this the, yeah, chest the, the the hypothermia one of the things that i have in my aid bag and i don't have in my ifac but i have in previous iterations of ifacs i have actually carried the survival blanket yeah uh, because once your body's had that shock, it's hard to maintain that body temperature. Yeah. I remember a, a patient becoming, you know, we, we started to lose his body temperature. Um, and it was, you know, we're sweating. It, it's over 100 degrees outside. And it didn't occur to us why this guy was going into shock until our medic came by and was like, hey, knuckleheads, look at his temperature. And it was, you know, 92 degrees, yep. which is he cannot maintain body temperature. Right. So uh, another reason in my aid bag that I carry the, uh, the space blankets yep. is one of the thing. one of the first things I'm doing on a, a casualty is modesty goes out the window. Yep. I got, I got four daughters and you know, I, my, my daughters are all precious to me, but if they're in a, you know, an incident, yep. get rid of the clothes. Naked patients, a happy patient. Yes. Like this. And you can, you can always, once, once we have treated, then you throw the space blanket on. Yep. Then, then you return the modesty to the patient as quickly as you can, right? Uh, because that's important, yeah. Um, especially you know for their their own comfort and shame and all that. Yep. Uh, in one of my classes, I teach a, um, a improvised tools yep. class, and I talk about stabbing and a puncture yep. in particular. There is a woman. I have on the slide, uh, it's showing her from behind. Uh, so it's her exposed back and she has a, I mean, this is like a hunting knife, like a dagger sticking out of her neck. It has gone into the left side of her spine and down, but missed everything. Right. And she is holding her chest. She is modest. She's covering herself. Right. And I I talk about this woman has a knife sticking out of her neck. It missed all the vital organs. Yep. Uh, because it was just short enough that it didn't hit, by the nature of the injury coming in too high, it didn't hit the aortic arch. Yeah. Um, 
and she has the concern and the wherewithal that she's covering herself. Yep. And I use that as an example of, um, you know, stabbing someone isn't as, puncturing isn't as effective unless you hit vital organs, right? Right. Um, you know, the other thing is that woman, even though she has that injury, she is still concerned about her modesty. Exactly. And so it is a good idea, especially in your aid bag, something larger for your vehicle to have those things, yep. have those space blankets so that if you do have to remove clothing, you can return the dignity yep. to the patient. Now, when I'm saying a naked patient is a happy patient, this is a multi-system trauma patient that you come up on. You don't know what's going on with them. and Yeah, you, you don't have you, to just take off their clothes right, right. away. Yeah. You, you need to expose to find out what's going yeah. on with them. Um, you see blood. You don't know where it's coming from. You're trying to identify everything as you go. Um, it, most likely they're unconscious, you know, and this is yeah. like you're going through that the algorithm to try to find everything because if the patient's conscious and they're talking to me and they tell me their arm hurts, I'm not stripping the patient naked. <laughs> they, like they can keep their boxers I, on. I, I yeah. was I, I was shot in the arm. My arm hurts. Can we do something about it? Guess what? I'm gonna cut that sleeve mm-hmm. so I can get to that arm and expose it and see what I've got going on. But I'm I'm not gonna like rip everything off of them, especially if we're in combat and they've got their kid on them. I'm not going to take that kid off them because that's still protecting them. Mm-hmm. If they're able to talk to me and tell me what's going on, then I'm going to be more of a specified assessment and focus assessment on that individual part. part. Do I want to keep paying attention just in case maybe they didn't feel something like hit their chest or something like that? And that's why we recheck. Yep. You know, you once we've gone through back, it, you, you keep going back if, and evaluating. If all of a sudden that patient's unconscious – like he he was talking to me and all of a sudden he's unconscious. Well, there's something else going on here that he just didn't feel, he didn't know, and then now I need to check everything. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to specify that so yeah, somebody no. doesn't like oh come across something and just start cutting everything off. Somebody yeah. no no that's not what we do. <laughs> um, so what other items would you have in a recommend for individual staff um, or think about? I mean tape maybe just to like be able to tape like a, a pressure bandage, something mm-hmm. like that down. But, um, that's about it. Like, uh, other than in the field, we have a, a T tri C card, which is basically us being able to mark down the, the injuries that we found yeah. and, and pass the information without having to talk to somebody because typically we're putting them on a helicopter where, you know, communication is very limited. You know, you're doing hand signals, like pointing to the patient, like, Hey, this is, <laughs> gunshot wound here and like stuff like that. But you know, they can't hear you. They've got their headset on. You've got Mm -hmm. your Peltors on, you know, nobody can really hear over the the road wash. You know, I, I have used that particular thing, um, in survival. Uh, I, 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 in the austere environment, I talk about, you're the person that has the education. Once you've been through the training, you're the person that has the education. Other people are going to turn to you and be like, Oh, you're, you know what you're doing. Help me. And it's important to give some people things to do with their hands. Yep, absolutely. So I have the time that I was a, a first responder on a, an incident, vehicle had flipped over, snowy day, Utah. Um, there was a, a bystander who wanted to help but didn't know how to help. And so I told them to grab a pen and paper. Yep, exactly. And just start writing down what I was saying about each individual patient as we were going through the March protocol yep. so that when EMS did get there and it was middle of nowhere, I 15, like right. 30 minutes before EMS from a small town could get to us. Um, we were able to hand that note card over and, you know, 
because of the training I had, because I have seen the casualty notification cards, um, you know, things like time when yep. I discovered the injury, what the time was yep. of that and being able to put the, those things down. That was useful. So one of the things that I do have in my, uh, my kit, not, a, I don't have a notepad, but I have a Sharpie. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, a Sharpie, you can write on the skin. Yep. Uh, you, if you have tape, you can take out a piece of tape, put and, a, yep. a couple pieces of tape on there and write down just like important notes. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're just sticking the tape to their chest, like, so they can see it when they, you know, yep. they open up their, their chest or they open up that, that blanket that you have them wrapped yeah. in and like, Oh, okay, this is what they, they saw. This is what they had, you know, now sometimes that can be a distraction. Some people will only concentrate on what's things, written in front of written them. On the, yeah. Um, other times they will just completely ignore it. If they're, they're, they're going to do their own assessment and do yeah. their own assessment and go through absolutely everything. Um, the thing I hate about like hospitals is like, even if you have a patent IV going, they're going to take that out and they're going to redo an IV. And it's like, if it was patent, if it was good, why mm-hmm. are you taking it out? Why are you doing that to the patient? Like, Introducing more harm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like they never trust anything that comes from the field. They will strip everything off unless it's something that's like act- like an actual packed wound or something mm-hmm. like that. Then they're not going to pull that out until they're in surgery. But uh, for the most part, you you like working in the ER, like we did our trauma rotations down in Tampa and working in the ER, like most of the stuff's coming off of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, for them to do their own assessment as well. But, you know, half the time, you know, lines get kinked. Things happen where you know, clots end up making the uh, the IV not patent. So mm-hmm. instead of trying to flush it, they'll just like yank it and do another one. But um, as far as in the kit itself, uh, that's the basics that I would keep. Uh, you know, you, you've got your pressure bandage in that class. We'll teach you how to pack a wound. Yeah. Uh, we'll teach you how to pack the wound, how to wrap it, how to make sure it's nice and tight. Um, not going to get into like non-compressible hemorrhage. I mean, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into that in the class because that's something that's yeah. that's important. But no, I mean, it's stuff. well, we're we're talking about it. It's one of those things you kind of have to see. You can't. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's this not is radio. That, it's not TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we had, we got a TV right here. We had some cameras. It, you know, it's in the works, man. It's in the works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, your IFAC should just be the basics to to plug those holes, stop stop the bleeds, make sure they have an airway. Um, and to uh, patch up any holes in the in the box, what we call them, basically from the neck to the navel, you mm-hmm. know, um, anything that can be a sucking chest wound, because even if it's down low, like on the belly, like that could have ricocheted up through the diaphragm and be causing the same issue. Mm-hmm. So you you want to seal that with a chest seal. And if you only have one chest seal and you have two holes, use the chest seal on one side and use the wrapping that the chest seal was in, and that's where the tape comes in. Yeah. Um, and tape down the wrapping over top, and that will create a seal over top the other one. Um, so that's basically an improvised chest seal. Uh, trying to think if there's anything else that I would put in there. Like I said, I wouldn't. And for most people, I say when when you're looking at like having a, a truck kit, yep. for the most people, it's just the same thing that you have in IFAC, just, just more. more of it. Yep. You know, it's to like be able to treat more patients. When when I build my IFAC, it's for me. It's for yep. Chris. When I'm building the truck bag, it's for like five people. Yep, exactly. You know, and it, because I'm not carrying it; it's sitting in the truck. Right. It can be. It can be more. Exactly. And there's really no difference in the equipment for me that I have. Right. You know, because I'm going off the basis of my training. Right. Exactly. 
Uh, and like I said, even on civilian side, I'm not going to carry the other stuff that I know I'm able to do just because that's not my scope of practice yeah. on the civilian side. My scope of practice on the civilian side is the level of a paramedic, whereas uh, my practice or my scope of practice on now my contracting side is similar to um, what it was in the military. Which it's called what advanced trauma paramedic or advanced tactical paramedic <laughs> ATP, whatever it is, yeah. the, the ATB card that you get. And uh, those skills go above and beyond what a normal paramedic can, can mm-hmm. do. Um, and I mean, you talking, we get 10 months worth of training that you're drinking from a fire hose and we're going into a hospital with only 10 months of training and telling third year residents that no, you're wrong. That's not what, what you're supposed to be doing right now. Yeah, They've got a lot of book knowledge. But we a lot get of hands on the repeated, repeated hands on training. I, that's one of the things that you know I point out to a lot. You know, your soccer medics, you guys do that. It's not just a one and done. No, you have annual requirements that oh, yeah. you have to go refresh on. Well, you were talking about the cadaver lab. We started mm-hmm. doing that. Uh, I want to say sixteen. Like part of our annual training mm-hmm. that we do in Ranger Regiment is our two weeks of. Uh, uh, our validation, and then we do our combat training uh, man or module, and uh, we include a cadaver lab in there. And we'll, we'll they'll have bodies that have been donated, mm-hmm. and we will go through the procedures. These are all fresh. These are all just yours were hand me downs. Ours are like dedicated to be ours. The first time we did it, they didn't give specifications on age and build and stuff like that because you we want military age males yeah you know because that's what we're training on and we ended up with like you know elderly elderly yeah. cancer survivor uh throat cancer like we're trying to do crikes and airway and stuff like that and like the anatomy is not the same on somebody that has had tumors removed from that area so um they had to specify after that point. They were like, okay, well, we would like to request like this demographic instead of just whatever you've got. And uh, the so helpful, especially having a trauma surgeon come in and teach us above and beyond. Mm-hmm. You know, teach us different anatomy thing, anatomical things that we can uh, we can use. Like as far as like being able to basically cut and tourniquet. The uh, subclavial artery, like to be able to block certain things in there. Wow! You know, like it, it just she was amazing. Like it, it, we had an awesome trauma surgeon come in and, and teach us a lot of extra stuff during those times. So, like I said, our training goes above and beyond the level that that you'll necessarily see on civilian side. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the IFAC goes, uh, keep the basics. Keep it simple. I think that's a big point that we want to make. And I see it. I'm glad that I'm seeing IFACs on students. Yes. But I'm seeing students carry things that they're never going to use. You know, it's, and I'm not, I'm not saying that um, the potential isn't there. I'm just saying that you have, you have something that's adding weight to your equipment and potentially getting damaged. Uh, that you don't necessarily have the training or 
the need to use. Right. And I think that order is kind of important. I have the training. Yeah. Um, I had the opportunity. There was an enemy combatant that I was, um, you know, we were, once you, once you've cleared the battlefield there, you're responsible for them. You know, it's the five S's. Yeah. And so, uh, I was doing the procedures and I did a, a needle D it, it was, it was my, the one time I've done it and I've done it in training a lot, but I, I did it on a live person and I still think I messed it up. I, you know, um, I, it, it accomplished what it was supposed to do. It, it, it exactly. It, it relieved the, the, the difficulty breathing that the individual had. Exactly. Um, but the thing was he was getting put into a, an Iraqi prison medical facility. Um, I don't know if he's going to make it, um, <laughs> but here in the States, you're getting put into the American medical system. Right. You know, those paramedics are going to get that person to a surgeon. Right. You know, someone that has a lot more time behind these things than me. Right. You know, exactly. Um, so for, for me, establishing their airway, stopping the major belief, those, the March, Exactly. To be able to do that and have my kit built around that is so vital and so important. I, I'm going to follow the same algorithm that I teach the basics on. Mm-hmm. Like when it comes down to it, like you can fall back on that algorithm no matter what your level of training is. Just because there's just other interventions that I will do during those those different um, different letters of march. And you know, you know that's why I'm not stages. sitting here with my IFAC yep. reading off nomenclatures. You right. know, by this innocent right. What we're telling you guys to do is to look at the March protocol. Mm-hmm. And as you're building your kit out, does this meet that mission? And does it meet that mission for me? Yeah. You know, um, do, do I need that particular thing? You know, you or I, we, we need multiple tourniquets, you know. Well, everyone needs multiple tourniquets. But I'm not putting a rat in my IFAC. Right. Okay. Now, if you're someone like my daughter who her, you know, her upper arm is about two inches, you know, she's uh, maybe bigger than that, but she's (laughs) tiny, you know, she might look at having an alternate tourniquet yeah, uh, because she may not be able to get a tourniquet like effect with that cat. Right. So she may be looking at something different. I don't, I don't, I've got to look into it, see if they do like any kind of pediatric sizes or anything like that. And like, I doubt it. I think cat is like just straight up and like, this is the product. This yeah. is what you get. Um, it's something to look into, though. Like, see if they do, like, anybody makes something mm-hmm. for smaller sizes. Um, the soft T might might work. Like, the soft T wide. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's all fabric, I don't know if you'd still be able to, like, if there's enough space to be able to get, like, that tight of a yeah. tourniquet on, though. Um uh, the other thing is if you are keeping the, the tourniquets on your kit and you're training in weather and stuff like that, there's something that you want to swap out. Yeah. Um, like the cat cat tourniquets particularly because it is a composite windlass. Mm-hmm. Um, they can get weathered. Like if you're in extreme heat, extreme cold often, and that's, that's the training that you're doing, they can get weathered and um, – We've discovered that back in 2013, there was a mass casualty situation in Third Ranger Battalion, and there was multiple cat tourniquet failures where the windlass broke as they were tightening it down. 
um, they've made the product a little bit better. They they got the reviews from yeah, that. They're, they're on Gen Sevens now. Yep, yeah. Gen Sevens where it's only a one friction adapter. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to do double to do the the leg anymore. It's all same same loop, you know, for everything. But uh, they they do keep coming out with improvements. But we do recommend still swapping them out if you're if you're using them in cold weather, hot weather, stuff like that, and you're constantly constantly out doing the training. Now, if they're just sitting in your in your house waiting for you to use, no, you're fine. You you can keep, keep those on there. Yeah, it's like it's like every stuff that's stuff staying in your car over yep. the summer. You know, it heats and cools. It heats and cools, yep. and you need to be aware of that. Yep. Just check on your stuff. Look look for like discoloration mm-hmm. of the of the windlass stuff like that, just to make sure. You know, if it starts looking like eh, maybe I should replace this, yeah, replace it. Awesome. Well, I think this is good information, and I believe this podcast is coming out before the first. So that would be so, good. So, <laughs> yeah, April first, we're going to have a we'll we'll have a Doc Chad here uh, do a um, a seminar, and it's always good training. And if you've had it before, we are get you know we like to bring in different perspectives. We have the Range Regiment perspective this time. Uh, you have a lot of experience with this stuff. And we want to take advantage of that and pass that knowledge on. We are working with your schedule to try and do some more advanced stuff. Yes. Um, and hopefully we'll be doing something this summer that we'll be doing some more shooters first aid type stuff. Yep. I was going to say even integrating it into some of your shooting classes, yeah. like maybe like a, a morning mm-hmm. refresher of the guys that have already gotten like medical, like just a morning refresher. And then, yeah. then you can incorporate some sort of. casualty play yeah yeah yeah. surprises it's always good stuff (laughs) Uh, folks thank you for your time thank you for listening to the lodestone training consulting podcast if you found this information uh useful please share it with your friends uh we are starting to get quite a bit of a reach and that is awesome because this is good information that we're trying to get out to good people like you guys so share it with your friends that are good people and uh we'll talk to you next time thanks for having me again